Hi, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. Each week, I ask my guests what they do differently that sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, and what makes them so successful. In this episode, I talk with Beth Segovia, the Chief Operating Officer at Channel Advisor. Welcome to The Indispensables. Today, I have Beth Segovia, Chief Operating Officer of Channel Advisor. She oversees general operations, services, product, and engineering, and human resources globally for Channel Advisor. Beth Segovia, welcome to The Indispensables. Thank you, Bruce. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for, for being part of the show. And, and, and tell us, how did you get to where you are? I mean, Chief Operating Officer of Channel Advisor, that sounds like a pretty big deal. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, well, I started out as uh, you know a student that was good at science and math, and so I pursued a path to become an engineer, and I did that twice. So I have a couple of engineering degrees, and I've spent now nearly 30 years, if I can say that out loud, in the IT industry. I focused for the first 25 years in the hardware side of the industry. I worked for the iconic ThinkPad brand at both IBM and Lenovo during that time. And I really focused on growing through traditional engineering roles, taking on a more operational focus with each successive role, rising through the ranks of leadership. And at the end of 25 years, I like to say I had a whole career in hardware, I decided I needed a change. I wanted to rise to a higher level have more influence over the organization, and I wanted to learn something new. Uh, so I stayed with IT, and I switched over to the e-commerce industry, and I joined Channel Advisor um, as their head of services initially. And then about 18 months in, I became the chief operating officer. It's been, honestly, an incredibly invigorating change or progression for my career because I was able to take all the skills I'd learned at much larger organizations and really translate them to be more influential and to be more effective, drive more decision-making, create more outcomes at a smaller company that was growing, a public company, and at a higher level of influence than I'd experienced in the past. You'd say a smaller company, but smaller than IBM, that's like every company. That's true. And it's interesting that you say that because IBM, you know, more than 400,000 people, bigger than some countries. And then Lenovo, when it was created, uh, was a very small company, according to, you know, what I had had experienced. So 20,000 people growing to almost 80,000 by the time I left Lenovo. And now Channel Advisor, we're 1,000 people strong, you know, 168 million in revenue. So it's quite a different scale of business. Yeah, but as you say, now you're the boss. Well, almost. <laughs> I'm one of the bosses, which is nice. Uh, so so uh, you say you're trained as an engineer. So you're trained both as an industrial engineer and in, in manufacturing systems engineering. So when you talk about hardware, you were building these machines, right? And or designing these machines. I guess you weren't building them. If you're the engineer, you're just you're just inventing them. 
It's funny that you say it. So quite literally, I spent several summers and a lot of weekends building the machines as a junior engineer because that's what we did to make uh, overtime back in those days. But my roles were, um, I was an industrial engineer. So I did a lot of manufacturing planning, warehouse planning, manpower planning, you know, all the logistics that go into the production of the product. And then I went into, um, you know, procurement and parts planning and all the supply chain stuff. And then I had some leaders that really um, had transitioned and moved into other areas of the business. And I moved over to more customer and client focused operations. And that was a really exciting turn for me because I have now spent probably 20 years of my career completely focused on building value and organizational capability to serve customers. And customers are a passion that drives me. Um, if you get it right for them, the rest of it comes into place. And so it was, you know, an incredible journey. Well, let me just say that everyone I work with right now who is customer facing is fielding a lot of angry phone calls from customers because of what you mentioned before, supply chain issues. So I'm guessing your background in supply chain is serving you at least so that maybe you can't solve the problem, but at least maybe you can help the people who report to the people who report to the people who report to you. Uh, maybe you can help them explain at least what's going wrong. Well, it certainly is a hot topic. So, you know, Channel Advisors in the business of e-commerce and e-commerce is all about moving goods, right? So it's all about making the purchase easy um, and then getting goods to where they need to go quickly. And so it's actually been a really interesting time because we've helped our customers move product they have. Right. So we're help, helping them with digital marketing and other strategies to make sure that the product they do have is moving. So their business and revenues are continuing to grow while they work through how do they improve their logistics timelines? How do they you know, overcome? Uh, we're also helping them with cost. Right. So if we can optimize pricing and help them, you know, maximize what they get for their current revenue and sales, then we can help them overcome some of the challenges they're experiencing on the supply chain side, increasing costs, et cetera. So I think we've created an outlet where our customers can reach more consumers and sell the products that they have access to while they work to fix and overcome some of the challenges of the day. Maybe you can explain a little bit for those who are not familiar with Channel Advisor. Oh, I would love to. So Channel Advisor is a leading e-commerce cloud platform, and our mission is to connect and optimize the world's commerce. So what's that mean? So for 20 years, we've helped brands and retailers worldwide improve their online sales performance. So you probably won't hear our brand out, uh, you know, in the marketplace as a consumer, but we're the software automation sort of think about it as plumbing that makes it possible. So we help brands list their products, market their products, optimize pricing, analyze the competition, you know, with a platform that operates at scale with nearly flawless reliability. We help them sell on Amazon, eBay, Walmart, Zalando, um, Alibaba, right? So channels all around the world. So we take our customers to where consumers are shopping and we give them access to those consumers in an automated and effective way. It's pretty exciting stuff. And can you unpack that a little bit? So what part does Channel Advisor do? I mean, there must be a lot of work if there's a thousand of them. Yeah. So if you think about um, if you're a brand and you want to sell your products on Amazon, you can integrate directly with Amazon. You can set up a store, right? You can work through Seller Central and you can list your products, price your products and do a lot of activities directly in the channel. And if you want to do just one channel, that's possible. But if you want to go now and sell on 20 channels or 50 channels, 
And we have access to more than 300 channels around the world. So if you want to access more markets, doing that one by one can be super difficult. So what our software does is it takes through a single feed of product and data and pricing information. We do all of the automation that turns your data into what the channel is expecting to see. And then we manage your listings. We take the orders. We, you know, return the orders back to the brand so that they can fulfill. We manage all the different process and inventory. We can assign the orders to different fulfillment centers, depending on where your fulfillment centers are located. So we do all of that order orchestration. We also, because it's multi-channel, we can provide information on which channel is giving you the best profitability, which channel is giving you more sales. And so we can help you prioritize your next dollar. So where do you put the next set of products through? How do you optimize pricing? So we do all of that heavy automation lifting on behalf of our clients. And you can run our software as a self-service customer where you do all that yourself, or you can leverage our managed services team and we'll turn all the dials on your behalf and offer strategies for growth and share benchmarking information, all of it with the goal of optimizing your performance and automating so that you can reach more consumers. So you provide technical support, but you also could be the back office customer order uh, hub. So we are the software and we are a technical set of services to run the software. So we draw a line when it comes to fulfilling the product ourselves or being customer service. We won't do that on behalf of a customer. The customers normally handle those aspects of the operation themselves. Okay, I see. Okay, and but but you do provide advice uh, based on industry expertise. You provide advice to help your clients achieve their commercial objectives. Absolutely. We have a team of e-commerce experts that have been doing this for years. They've been doing it in multiple industries. They're deep in specific industries. They know what works and they stay ahead of what works. So it seems like every day a new channel is born that becomes the hot spot where customers are purchasing product. And so it's our job to stay ahead of that and to understand what's the new strategy, what's the new you know, way to market your product that's the most effective, what's the new strategy for winning the buy box on a certain channel. And so it's our job to make sure we stay ahead of those trends so that we can enable our customers to be more effective. But you serve the business, right? Businesses come to you uh, to get their services and products out to customers. That's right. And is it just retail customers or do you also facilitate business to business? We are primarily uh, B2C. So we work with brands and retailers to find their consumers and work with them. Um, But we do have an aspect of our business that's B2B. So this whole concept of a marketplace is growing and more businesses are providing marketplaces to other businesses so they can purchase their product in an easier manner. And we are uh, beginning to enable that more and more. Yeah, I would think there are different kinds of complexities, but that could be, there seems like there's a lot of potential there, especially as uh, supply chain management becomes more complex. Yeah, it's huge. Are there businesses that are too small to uh, get channel advisors advice? Uh, So that's a great question, actually. So we tend to find that you have to have a bit of scale to really need automation. So to really have a problem that you actually need, you know, software to carry the load, you have to have a decent number of SKUs. You have to have a decent volume that you're pushing through. Otherwise, you know, if you're a very small company and the owner is also executing orders, you know, on a daily basis and it's a super small team, the need for that automation and optimization tends to not be there. 
So the very small business, this is probably not the solution. But, uh, you know, we work with a lot of emerging brands. And as you start to tip over to higher volumes of gross merchandise volume and more SKUs, more complexity, more channels, and you start to, it gets beyond what a single person or a single channel can support and you need automation. And that's where Channel Advisor comes in. Yeah, that's that. That makes sense to me, and and maybe uh, uh, you probably are one of the facilitators of taking a growing business and helping them kick the door off the hinges. Well, we certainly hope so. We've seen a lot of success stories where um, customers have taken maybe a direct, you know, uh, just selling from their website strategy, and then added to that marketplaces, and really seen tremendous growth through that strategy. It's all about where are customers shopping and meeting them where they're shopping. Yeah. And, and just so you know, I speak supply chain, but uh, you use the term SKU twice. So for those who don't speak supply chain, can you uh, explain what a SKU is? <laughs> a SKU is a unique product. So it's, uh, you know, I don't know. So I've got a water bottle here. So it, this water bottle, because it's blue and it's a certain kind and it's got a certain spout is a single product. And so that's what we would call a SKU. So something that would be uniquely sold and priced. So sorry for for speaking the language of my people. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. SKU, right, is where that comes from. Uh, so, uh, uh, okay. So, so I know you, you, you talk about fearlessness. Um, can can you talk about fearlessness and what role it, it has played in your career? Well, you know, I think there's a couple of aspects of that. You know, I've seen, especially women peers, tend to fear the unknown and maybe self-limit. I think one of the lessons I've learned in all of my years is self-limitation can destroy your career, right? So one of the things I've done, I think quite naturally, that I'd love to see more women do, and as I mentor young women and honestly anyone who wants to grow their career, is I try to encourage them to take it on, right? Take that next step, be bold, and then if it's too much, you can always back off, right? So I like to tell the story of you know, my first executive promotion, I was pregnant. I was two months pregnant and nobody knew in my company that I was pregnant. And the first thing, of course, that came to my mind was I couldn't possibly do this now. This is crazy. I taking on this big job when I'm getting ready to start a family. It was first baby. You know, I really just took a step back and said, why not? There's a team here that's going to hold it down while I'm going to take leave. And when I come back, they'll be here for me and we'll grow it together. And so I took the job. And I think it was a valuable lesson because I not only survived it, but, you know, my babies are good. They're grown. They're, they're fantastic. And I was able to do both and find a way to create that balance and have all of the things I wanted by really not being afraid to do that. So I think first is, you know, don't let fear limit you. Fear the unknown, right? Take it on. Make it a known. And then limit yourself purposely based on your choices and what you want to do. Not because you didn't think you could do it or you were afraid you couldn't do it based on whatever. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I, I always marvel that uh, men are less uh, likely to mention that they uh, hesitate to take an opportunity because they're about to be a parent. And I always think, well, aren't you also having a child? Like, and I get it's different for uh, somebody to give birth than to then have to have to take care of a child. Uh, but it's, it's, um, I, I, I love that you use that example because what I want to say is I, I wish, um, that women would hesitate less and men would hesitate more. Well, you know, I think that just society, right. Women play, we have a lot of roles, 
right? We're mothers, we're daughters, we're spouses, you know, and many of us want to be leaders or have a job or a career that's fulfilling and taxing, et cetera, right? And sometimes balancing all those things. It's a it's a different decision-making network. You know, I think right, wrong, or different, men are just more naturally expected to make the career decisions and, you know, spend a little less time, right, worrying about the other things. And I agree with you 100%, right? Like, I think men are evolving in the same way that women are evolving, right? And I hope we're both sort of coming closer to the middle. But I think that's one of the aspects of, fearlessness, you know, that I think about. There's another aspect, which is, you know, and again, I think this is another thing I try to tell a lot of women that I mentor, you know, you were hired to do a job and it's your responsibility to do that job. So no one should need to invite you to speak up and to do your job and to take the seat at the table. You know, I've heard so many people say, you know, I just want a seat at the table. Well, you have one, you already have one, you have the job. And it's your job to do it to the most complete and fullest of your ability. And that means you need to speak up. So you were hired for your competence. You were hired for your voice. And I frankly just don't need to be invited. And so I try to really encourage people, right? It's not your manager's job to open the door for you to speak. It's not the executive's job to ask you a question to make sure that your opinion is heard. It's your job to advise us. That's why we've hired you. That's why you're in the game. And so I think that's another aspect of fearlessness. You know, do the job you were hired to do and take your seat at the table. Yeah. How, how do you handle that now that you're like uh, have a lot of people who report to you, who report to the people who report to you, who report to the people who report to the people who report to you? How do you drive that message down the chain of command so that you make sure you're getting every voice at the table or that you're, you, you say, assume your voice is required, assume you're needed? I love that. How do you push that approach down the chain of command? Well, I actually think and my behavior is kind of a little scary. So I think that any I should be able to talk to anybody in the company. And so sometimes I forget that I'm COO and I forget that when I chat somebody that it might be a little intimidating, <laughs> but I will literally reach all the way to the individual. So whether it's an account manager working with a customer or a support rep that's trying to solve a problem, I'll reach directly to them and I'll want to hear what the situation is and I'll want to hear what the challenge and the problem is, and then I'll take action to help them. And so I think it's really important. So an alternative strategy is to ask my VP who owns services to go handle the problem and report back later when she solved it. And I, you know, I do that sometimes too, but I think it's really important to hear the voices. I also try, I can't know everybody, but I try to know everybody and I try to remember, you know, something about that person, right? So some contribution or something. And then, you know, especially when I run into super talented folks, I'll pull them into things. Right. So even if it's not their job. Right. So we have a number of corporate wide projects that we work on and initiatives. And I'll try to think about who's got the motivation, the drive, the interest or a unique talent that might be helpful in this situation. And I try to draw them in. So one way I can use my level and my influence is to sort of pull people forward. So I do see that as my responsibility, but I really want to encourage them to pull yourself forward. Right. Make sure that you're noticed so that, you know, I can pick up on it and do my job. It takes two of us. Yeah. And, and, and I love what you're saying because it's, it, it really puts flesh on, on the concept of inclusion and inclusivity. It puts flesh on the concept of, of accessibility. Uh, one of the things we do, organizational assessments, and uh, one of the things that I, I always notice when people 
use uh, the language of accessibility and inclusion from, you know, when they when they use that at the top, you know, they're describing themselves. But when people who report to the people who report to the people who report to them use that language, then you know it's true. But but here's a little riddle for you. How do you do that without undermining the chain of command? I actually have to be super clear about it. So when I recruit people or when I'm working with my team, you know, there will usually be, you know, we'll call it an incident where I've reached out to someone and they'll be like, hey, maybe I didn't know that that was happening and I would have appreciated noting. And I'll usually say, oh, my bad. I just didn't think you needed to be directly involved in that specific thing. And I really wanted to talk to so-and-so. So I'm not undermining your authority in any way. Um, I just want to solve the problem. And I want to make sure that the employee knows that I'm trying to help them. And so, you know, I get my team comfortable with the fact that, you know, I really just see that I have an all access pass. And so some people would get a little uncomfortable with it. But I think, frankly, to be speedy, you know, to be quick with how we act and react and enable, we have to feel and operate in a flatter organization. So hierarchy just doesn't work for me. I've worked obviously for very large organizations that could have been or had been historically very hierarchical. And I think progressively that's become less the way and it's certainly not efficient, right? And then by the time I tell Susie who tells Joan who has Betsy go do the work, like the message also can sometimes get a little muddled along the way. Right. You're playing that old fashioned game of telephone. And then that's where communication alignment and clarity uh, becomes so critical. But of course, there's there's always a place for skip level conversations. Uh, And to your point, speed of execution sometimes requires those skip level conversations and also uh, to hear what's going on all the way down on the front lines. Do, Do you ever worry about because you're the COO? Do you ever worry about maybe a lack of candor when you go to the front lines? I don't really. And the reason I can say that with confidence is I try really hard to be transparent myself and to make myself approachable, right? So you use that word accessibility. Like I really try to be who I am. So with our teams so that they can build trust. So I tell funny stories about our family. Everybody knows I'm a klutz. Everybody knows that I run, but I hate it. Everybody knows that I love big action. Like they let, they know like these quirky things about me. And I think that helps them sort of trust me. And also, um, especially through the pandemic, um, I ran all of our business continuity operations and it required a lot of transparency, right? I mean, for a lot of moments, especially in mid 2020, you know, we had no idea, right? We were reading the news and following along with everybody else and trying to protect our teams and operate in a way that was safe and and really just roll with that. And that created that transparency and communication and the, hey, we don't know, but we're doing our best here and we're going to take care of you first. And, you know, I think that builds trust. You know, I try to be authentic. I try to be really transparent and build the trust in the team so that they can be candid. I usually also break the ice by saying, hey, I need to talk to you. And I know that might be scary. I hope I'm not scary. I just have a question for you. And I think you're the best person to answer. And so I think it sort of creates confidence, right? I want them to speak. And that makes them want to advise me, which is works most of the time. 
Yeah, and I, I, I think I think that's the right formula: transparency, accessibility. Uh, you mentioned uh, telling quirky things about yourself. Uh, I always think of that as extending vulnerability. And of course, it has to be authentic, and so you know it helps if you have a sense of humor about yourself. And when you do operate from a position of power. Extending vulnerability is a really important tool for getting people to be candid with you. So uh, I think you, well, obviously you have the formula. You wouldn't be the boss's 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 boss. Um, so, so say a little bit about what, what you said you wanted new experiences. You wanted to learn new things. How was it that you were drawn to e-commerce uh, and, and to Channel Advisor specifically? Well, you know, I was at a point in my career where I felt like I, you know, I had grown up in these two, you know, iconic companies working in this PC industry focused on the same kind of set of products. So I had a lot of expertise. I'd moved through different functions, but I was sort of hitting a place where getting to that next level was getting very hard and it was taking a lot more time than I expected. And it was um, honestly, it was a little disappointing. You know, there's always that that next thing that was required for you know you to be eligible for the job. So I started to think I need to keep learning. I've been working 25 years, but I'm one of these people that believes I'm not sure I'll ever stop working. Right. So I think it's part of <laughs> healthy brains, healthy humans. You know, to keep keep going. And so you know, I wanted to keep going, but I wanted to learn something new. And as I started to look around, I have to say, I think I have a, I had a guardian angel because uh, literally this opportunity from Channel Advisor dropped into my lap. And I happened to know very well the head of talent acquisition. And so, you know, a short conversation led to three weeks of interviews. And then, oh, my gosh, I had a decision to make. And it, it was an interesting time because my children were in high school and middle school. They're girls. And so I think a lot about the example I set. You know, I actually consulted them, right? So should I make this change? What do you think about this? And they actually counseled me with all the things I counseled them with, right? So what's the worst thing that can happen? Um, you know, what do you want to make happen? You know, if you're unhappy with your situation, make change, blah, blah. So they, made, they gave me courage, first of all, to make a change, right? So it's super easy to stay comfortable, right? I knew, I used to say, the hardest thing about transitioning to a new company as a leader, I used to be able to look around the room and I knew everybody's skills. So when I had to assemble a team to go attack a problem, I knew who to pull. I knew how to go reach out and get people. If I had to build a new organization, I knew who I'd want to lead it, right? You have 25 years of history. You know, you've recruited a fair amount of those people into the company and they worked for you at one point in the time. Um, but then you move to a new company and you have a whole new industry. You have a whole new set of resources and, you know, assembling a team to go attack a problem. You don't know who's great at their job whether you can trust the data. You, I didn't even know how to pull the data. I mean, I switched from all Microsoft tools over to Google tools and all this. It was like a foreign language. But the transition was the best decision I've ever made. And it's for a couple of reasons. E-commerce is the jam. I'll just say that out loud. Um, the industry moves really fast. There's an up and coming channel all the time. There's a new capability or a new need. Brands, especially with this pandemic, have really sort of awakened to this notion that they have to sell and reach consumers in a different way. And so they're shifting from, you know, sending pallets of products to retailers that are going to sell their product for them to really engaging directly with customers and one-on-one -on -one shipments and one-on-one -on -one relationships with customers. So this whole transformation is happening. And I had the opportunity to step into it and learn all about it. 
take all the skills that I had developed and really engage in a different way. So it's been scary, uh, but really invigorating, right? To learn something new and figure out how much I knew and use it to create more capability at a different scale. Yeah, so the worst thing that could happen is I would have left a career and taken on taken a risk and have to start over again. Well, I, th- I think it's I think it's it's beautiful and interesting that you cite your uh, daughters as consultants because one of the things you're super involved in is the National Charity League, right? And uh, if I understand correctly, the mission of the National Charity League is to foster mother-daughter relationships. And through that process um, to, to get, I guess, mothers and daughters working together in community service and leadership development. So uh, interesting that your uh, that's also your big charitable endeavor. Yeah. So we are, you know, I am one of six. I have a sister and I have four brothers. My parents expected success, right? From day one, they expected us to work hard, do well, do our best, be successful. All of us, not the boys. And so I think it started there. I remember when I became COO, I called my daddy because, you know, I still call him. So I wanted to be proud. And he said, I know this isn't the right question to ask you, but do many girls do that job? And I said, as a matter of fact, Daddy, no. And that's why it's really cool. And um, and he said, well, of course I expected it, right? So, but it started there. And then with my own children, you know, they're girls. I want them to do whatever it is that they want to do. And I want them to feel capable. And I also want them to recognize their responsibility and how, you know, where we may live a life that has a certain privilege Many others do not. And so through the National Charity League, you know, we do a lot of philanthropy. So we serve philanthropies in our communities and, you know, everything from, you know, making meals for the homeless to, you know, serving women who are trying to find careers, et cetera. So we spend a lot of time working together in our communities and it takes a lot of hours. So we spend a lot of hours together and we're talking about what it means to serve and, you know, how to connect and help each other. And I'm hoping that that will help them see not only only that they can have brilliant careers, but they also have a responsibility in their communities to pay that forward. Yeah. And of course, you've always had these high powered careers so that uh, and yet, uh, obviously, uh, you must have a close relationship with your daughters if they're your principal advisors. What's it like having, uh, you know, I, I, I because you emphasize that I want to ask you, hey, does does that make it harder to have this powerful career when when you also have to manage a family? I, I can tell you from my own experience, uh, my wife and I have been together 37 years. We didn't have our own children, but I worked part time for three years to help take care of one of my nieces. So I'm into it. You know, I get it. And I get that it can be hard to be super busy when you also are trying to take care of a family. So, you know, I actually try to give young women that are starting their families advice on this subject because I really think that my husband and I really got this right. So it literally takes a village. So, you know, first of all, it takes a partner. So my husband, you know, we just believed we should both achieve right? So it wasn't one or the other. We were going to do what it took for us both to have full lives, you know, self careers, as well as a family, because we had the same priorities. We both wanted to be successful and we both wanted to have a family that was very close. So we have the same goal and it's much easier when you have a partner in crime that is aligned. 
Um, the second thing we did was we recognized when we needed help. <laughs> and so you, you, I, I'm only one person and I can't do, you know, all the things that need to get done. And so we divvied out all the chores, right? So I don't always cook. I primarily cook, but he cooks, but we got help. We had students that came and ran our girls to all their things after school or helped with homework or started dinner, you know, so we had a whole ecosystem of help. I didn't do it by myself. We don't live near either of our parents. So beyond the people that we employed to help us, we had a community of friends. And those people were, you know, there would be times when I'm just not going to make it. <laughs> Can somebody get over there and get my kid or things are chaos tonight. Can you take my kids for a couple of hours? And we did that for each other. And so that ecosystem of support, you know, really made a difference. But I think that the key thing is I just try not to get ahead of myself. You know, sometimes I took it an hour at a time, right? When your life is like this and you're both working and we were traveling a lot before the pandemic, you know, if somebody gets sick, the whole thing gets thrown off kilter, right? And so it's immediately triage, right? Who's on first? Who's got the first half of the day? Who's got the second half of the day? Mom always gets the first two days because it's hard and they need mom when that happens, you know? So how do you do that? And you just take it one hour at a time. And I got very verbal about it in my workplace. And I try to do that now, right? You don't need to hide your kids from me. I want to hear all about it, right? I want to hear all the challenges because I bet I've been there and I bet I can help with that. And so I just never was afraid of talking about the things that are going on because all of me is here. And the fact that I'm here and prioritizing work means I feel like I've got the rest handled, but it doesn't mean it was easy today. So, you know, I just try to be transparent and be supportive of the women around us. And I love the way that work is moving, like the direction we're moving in, the flexibility, the work from home, the remote work, you know, it's giving lots of our employees and many women more access to their families, to work different times of day, to work when they, you know, to work when it makes sense. And I think that's helpful in supporting careers. I think that's huge. I think, uh, and, and I think it's all speaks to your authenticity. And I'm just guessing, now maybe this isn't a strong guess, but I'm just guessing uh, that your daughters are, are pretty strong, capable people also. Well, they're on their way, and I'm very proud of them. Uh, I did. I have a student in pre-veterinary uh, medicine at the University of Georgia. Go dogs. She called me the other day to tell me all the different ways that she girl-bossed that day. And I thought, all right, I'm doing something right. <laughs> well, what, what is she? She's going to be a veterinarian? That's what she wants to be. What kind of veterinarian? Well, right now she thinks, you know, domestic animals, but she's not sure. So she's exploring. Uh, so, so you feel like part of having a powerful career is being able to have a strong family. And I, I'm with you a thousand percent, I think. Uh, and I agree with you about this uh, dissolving of boundaries, you know, because until the pandemic, a lot of the dissolving of boundaries uh, was only working in favor of the employer. That when do you work? All the time. Where do you work? Everywhere. And look, place and time is not such a great measure of, of outcomes anyway. Right. Where you work, when you work is not the best way to evaluate uh, your productivity, your quality, uh, your innovation, your your attitude. And um, and it sounds like a channel advisor is uh, is is one of the firms that is uh, helping organizations uh, make that real. I think we're really, you know, we've been focused on changing as things change, you know, so we're we're trying to evolve to make sure that our employees have what they need. 
and really thinking about, I mean, we implemented a flexible work policy when we reopened our offices and we said, look, we don't care where you work. So if you prefer to work from home, right, whether right now that's because of safety and your concern or whether that's just what works for your family now. I had a, um, we have a young man who's a sales leader and he had a second baby during the pandemic. And he said, you know, with my first son, I barely saw him the first couple of years of his life because I lived 45 minutes from work. I left before he woke up. I got home after he was in bed. And it was really hard for me to build a relationship with him when I only saw him on the weekends. I just didn't have enough time with him. And during the pandemic, they had a second baby. And he's like, I see that baby all the time, right? So I get to see them in the morning. I get to have breaks during the day. I get to participate. And it's a different level of parenting. And I'm getting more fulfillment out of that. And you know, he's struggling with the idea of when do I come back to the office and for how much time? Because he feels like he can be really effective at his role and do more right? When it comes or prioritize more of what's important to him personally with his family. So I think we have to evolve. We have to support these new working models and enable people to be effective and also enable connection, right? I think the risk we have right now is, you know, we're just a bunch of Zoom tiles and people, we're not creating those relationships in the workplace that create, I don't want to use the word loyalty because it feels so passe now, but, you know, but create that passion for purpose, that commitment to each other, you know, you got to have relationships to do that. So I think we're evolving, trying to find that balance of how do you create the interest and those relationships while also giving people the flexibility they need to do, you know, all the things. We're actually redesigning our corporate offices. We're making them much smaller because nobody wants to come work in a cube. If I'm going to do work, I'm going to do that at home. But when I want to collaborate and meet with other people and team, I want to do that in purpose. So our new corporate office is going to be a full collaboration space with, you know, little nooks and corners and a lot of IT equipment so that people can come work together in person at the office, but not work all day there. That's not what they need anymore. That makes all the sense in the world because the sales leader you mentioned now, if that sales leader has to choose going forward between having a meaningful, engaged and present relationship with his children or working for you and pursuing your corporate mission, I mean, what choice is he going to make, right? Uh, so from a business standpoint, it's a slam dunk. And to your point, you have to make sure that people have an opportunity to connect. Although one of the things I like to say is, okay, so we've got visual data, we've got auditory data, we're missing some. We can't smell, taste, or touch each other, but we shouldn't be doing that at work anyway. You know, but we do have to find meaningful ways to create uh, shared purpose, shared language, shared habits, shared practices. And we have to have enough propinquity, enough uh, working together in proximity that we can benefit from noticing each other and from knowing each other, not just, as you say, as a Zoom tile. So um, I think uh, uh, I, I have a feeling you you are the right leader for, for this, uh, for this uh, era coming so are, 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 are you gunning for CEO? <laughs> um, I, I don't know that I would put it that way, but I think if you had asked me when I, I think I know the answer to this, but when I was in college, if you'd asked me what I wanted to do, I would have told you I wanted to run a company one day. And it's super hard to go from where you are then to, you know, where I am now. But now I can actually see that as an opportunity. And part of this move to Channel Advisor has given me 
way more access to learn the things that I need to learn. So what I'm focused on now is becoming the candidate, right? So, you know, I'm obviously running over 60% of the organization and learning a ton through that process. I'm, you know, engaging with investors, with analysts, with customers, you know, growing my scope, spending a lot more time on strategy um, so that one day I can be that, that next hand when the time comes. So our current leader is amazing. He's the reason I'm at Channel Advisor and he's somebody I look up to and learn from every day, but he actively is investing in that development. So he gives me super expansive assignments on a regular basis. Some of which I um, don't thank him for, but I'm always the better for after. But he gives me those opportunities to really think about developing my skills. So, uh, you know, I have a good 10 years ago, I would say, and my hope is that through experience and opportunity, I'll one day get the top spot. We'll see. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I, 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 uh, I'm betting on you. <laughs> Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, well, this has been fantastic. Uh, Beth Segovia, thank you for being a guest on The Indispensables. Well, I appreciate it, Bruce. Thank you for having me. In our next episode, I'll talk with Katrina Williams, head of sales and ITS capability for the technology giant CDW. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at goto underscore podcast. That's at goto underscore podcast. Learn more about gotoism in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, wherever books are sold. And you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com. Until next time, stay strong and stay indispensable.